You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. Okay, I got a couple of jokes for you guys. Y'all want to hear some jokes this morning? Come on. These are good ones, I promise. Okay, so uh, here's the first one. A young father took a seat on the bus next to an old man, and he plopped his one-year-old on his lap, and just as the little boy began to cry and fidget, the old man said, man, that child is spoiled, isn't he? And the, the dad said, no, he, he always smells this way. Here's another one. This one's, this one's better. So two really old guys decided they would go out and try to play a round of golf together. They get on the first, Scott says, mm. They get on the first tee, and the first old guy says to the second, My eyesight isn't what it used to be. Can you watch my ball for me? The second guy said, Sure, I see fine. He said, Go ahead and hit. So the first old man steps up to the tee, and he really puts his, puts his might into it and hits it. He turns to his buddy and says, did you see it? He said, sure, says his buddy. Well, where did it go? The first guy asks. And the second old man thinks for a minute and he says, I can't remember. <laughs> what a team. Come on. No, no good. No good. Uh, sometimes it's good to just tell jokes and knock the, knock the rough off of folks before they get in here, right? Come on. <laughs> knock the rough. If you get in the rough, if you're playing golf, which if I play golf, I'm in the rough all the time. So I swing like I'm, I'm trying to kill something when I'm playing golf. And that's not how you swing when you're playing golf, right? It's all about finesse. The power comes through the finesse and the form. Who, how many golfers we got in here? Got a few. Is that right? What do you mean that's not right? It doesn't come through the form and the finesse. You got, we, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, we could argue on the, the, all that all day. Yeah, well, that's how I play. It's like Happy Gilmore. So uh, anyway, well, listen, let's get, the, let's get this thing rolling. I know you guys don't want to be in here all day. I've got a really long message, so it's going to take a while. I'm just kidding. Could be really shorter than, than I think. Don't be a jerk. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Let's try to remember that. Uh, I, I preached a message a couple weeks back on don't be a jerk. And uh, talk, talking about how we have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and we don't have to be jerks. Amen. 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 It's a good opportunity for you to say, yes, come on. Uh, all right. Well, you know, uh, Mark Twain uh, wrote, the two most important days in your life is the day that you're born and the day that you find out. And, uh, hey, I'm asking the questions here. All right, no more interjection. I don't want, it's not welcome, okay? It's not welcome. I mean, it's a little too much feedback. Come on, come on. Spoiler alert, yeah. Yeah, so Mark Twain wrote that. He said, you know, the two most important days in a person's life is the day they're born and the, and the day they find out why. And, um... You know, they also say that carbon monoxide is the silent killer. Yeah, flipped that really fast, didn't I? 
But uh, you know what another silent killer is? It's if you knew who God had made you to be, you'd never want to be anybody else. Come on. That's right. Say that again. And, um, you know, at the core of this is the reality that it's a part of significance. And, you know, it is said for us to find out about our significance, we first must find out about how insignificant we are. Which sounds like a crazy play on words, but it's, it's really true. Because, uh, you know, we, we've all seen this in, in Proverbs. Pride comes before the fall. And um, we, we must have an awareness that we can do nothing to save ourselves or improve our lives in light of eternity apart from God. Because it's, it's that place of us understanding that it's God that gives us the things that we need. It's God who blesses us. It's God who comes in and he makes things happen in our life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and not by our own efforts or works. Amen? And, um, you know, many of us have seen, and I know I've seen this too, that when we get into a place where we're searching for significance to the point that we become so driven that we, we don't realize that it's not by our own works of our hands and the things that we do, but it, it is by the grace of God. It is by his, him putting his, his blessings on our life, by him putting his favor on our life. And it's in that place that we really discover, hey, as a Christian, I can do nothing without him first. A, a total codependency that is a healthy codependency, which sounds crazy, but it, 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 it is healthy because we are in him and he is in us. And so uh, we are saved through, through faith in Christ Jesus, not by our own efforts or works. But, you know, listen, we can't get to heaven on our own. Everything we accomplish in life has to be found in the place of an awareness of his grace in our lives. And understanding that as Christians, uh, we find our significance and our confidence as born-again believers that we are in Christ. And when we, when we grab a hold of that and we understand that, there lies my significance and my confidence. And as a result, my significance is more substantial than I could have ever hoped for by myself. And I've found that to be true in my life over these years. And uh, why? Because outside of Christ, we only have the promises and significance based on our DNA or based on our inherited attributes and traits from our family lines. Amen? Amen. Uh, inheritance is a big deal when you start talking about, not just about money, but when you're talking about inheriting your traits and DNA from your family. You know, my family line and my inheritance was filled with an itemized list of orphan spirit. Alcoholism and drugs, abuse, neglect, pain, arrogance, pride, and self-promotion. But you know what? I traded all of my stuff for his stuff. <laughs> I traded my inheritance for his inheritance. And I am so glad I did because when I got saved, there was a transfer that took place in my life. It's like my bank account. I have a savings and a checking, and when sometimes I might over, you know, I might spend a little more than I should, I go to my savings account and I make a transfer so that I don't overdraw. Well, I had overdrawn all my life. And when I got saved, God made a transfer from his account, Papa God, uh, Almighty, 
the, the, the creator of the universe, the all-sufficient, he made a transfer from his account into my account. And immediately, I became a beloved son. Immediately, we become sons and daughters of inheritance. And what does that look like? It looks like health, uh, spirit, soul, and body. We, we receive the Holy Spirit. We, we receive that partation, impartation of his spirit inside of us. Uh, we, we look at soul, mind, will, and emotions. We become healthy in those places where when we didn't receive those things in the past, we were just all over the board. Our, the grid was everywhere. But now we inherit his his emotions. We inherit his peace, uh, his goodness. Uh, in body, physically, we physically, uh, we, we were able, because of what he did on the cross, we have a physical body that is healthy. We, we confess that. We declare that. We receive love, joy, humil humility, favor, destiny, eternal life. And, uh, you know, I was very aware, me personally, I was very aware, and I think all of us could say this, I was very aware of my insignificance, and I had nothing to brag about. Um, I had a broken line uh, in my lineage, and I think a lot of us, I know a lot of us have had good families, but then there's a lot of us that haven't had good families, and that there was a broken line in our lineage. I'm going to get a drink. And uh, I, I know you guys know this because I, I talk about it a lot, but I love movie series. And one of my favorites is Lord of the Rings. And uh, love J.R. Tolkien stuff. Uh, the parallels that, that he talks about in his books and in his movies, it, it, it parallels God's kingdom so well. And so we all know the gist of the, the first three movies of the Lord of the Rings. You got two hobbits that take a ring of power, and they're going to take it to Mordor, and they're going to destroy the ring. But there's a whole list of other characters that are involved in these stories. And one of my favorite is uh, Aragorn. And Aragorn is called Strider at the beginning of the movie because Strider comes from a long list of succession of kings and guys that have were sitting on the throne and were powerful. But because of poor choices and bad mistakes and because of sin, they got canceled, basically, and that inheritance didn't get passed along to Aragorn, to Strider. And so his whole time in these, in these movies, in, these, in this series, he is trying to decide who am I and why am I here. And he's got people, God is sending people to him and telling him, this is who you are. This is who you were created to be. This is where you need to step into this and accept it and grab a hold of it. Let's watch this movie clip real quick. Come on. That's my one of my favorite parts. Come on. When he says, 
he's, he's dealing with this demonic oppression, and the demonic oppression is challenging him. And he's saying, your line was broken. And Aragorn finally steps into that place of his identity because he, he realizes that he was called. And he said, yeah, that line was broken, but it's been remade. Listen, I'm here to tell you this morning, our lines have been remade. Your line has been remade. It's been remade in Christ. So we don't have anything to be ashamed about. We don't have any reason to pull back or to feel like we're not enough or that we can't do it. Romans 8, 16, 17 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Come on. That's the place to shout right there. We, we, you know, and, and I don't say this lightly, but we take this for granted so much in our Christian walk. We forget about where we used to be and where we are now because it's been a process and it's, sometimes some time has gone, gone by and we forget about how insignificant we felt and how insignificant we were before we came to know the Lord. But we are significant, okay, because he is significant. We are righteous because he is righteous. Everything changes when we believe we are called. Everything changes. Not just some things, everything changes. Flashback again. I'm not going to show a clip of this one. But how many of you guys have seen The Matrix? Come on. Love The Matrix. Another great movie. And in the, in the first Matrix, it won't go long, Neo is been picked out by Morpheus because Morpheus believes Neo is the one. But Neo needs some convincing because he does not believe that he is the one. And so through the whole movie, he's going through things. He's going through a process of getting the old mindset out of, what, out of his head and, and stepping into a new identity. And at the end of the movie, he's gone through enough finally. He's had enough good people around him around him, especially Morpheus, who've encouraged him. They keep saying, you're the one. And he's facing down this, this insurmountable uh, force of agents. And agents are these guys that when you shoot them, they don't die. And if you face them, you're, you better run because you're going to die. And so they say, they told Neo, hey, if you ever face an agent, just run. Because if you don't, you're going to die. And finally, in this last scene of the first Matrix, Neo gets put up against three agents and you see him thinking, and he turns around, and he starts to run. And then he go, he, you see him, like something just clicked in his head. He turns back around, and everybody on the other side who are watching this from a distance, uh, they go, what is he doing? Why is he not running? And Morpheus says, he's starting to believe. Yeah. Listen, Neo started to believe that he was called. He started to believe that he was the one. And as surely as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was called and sent by his Father, even so you and I are called. Jesus was the one, and because Jesus was the one, guess what? You are in Jesus, and you are the one. You are the one that can bring transformation to a hurting and a broken world. And I just want to encourage you this morning. This is, that's what this is. We, we just, I want to encourage you this morning that, you know, our calling is in a direct extension of Jesus' calling. Our calling is in, in a direct extension of his calling. That's who we are. We reside in him. He is in us. John 20, 21 says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
What was he sending us to do? To make the place he was sent to look like the place he was sent from. That is our apostolic mission. Now you're saying, well, that Jesus was sent to do that. I'm not sent to do that. Yes, you are. Because you're in him. Jesus was a sent one. And guess what? Jesus is now sending you to do the same exact thing. To make the place that he was sent from, I mean, to, to look like the place where he was sent from. You know, he taught, he, he taught the disciples this in the very beginning. And they said, God, t t Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he's like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as where? As it is in heaven. So he was a sent one. He came and he was coming to model for you and me that, hey, we are called and we are commissioned by him. Amen? Yeah, we are called by our Father in heaven. We are the ones that have divine permission to take his peace and love into the world and change the course and bring heaven's culture. You and I are called to be history makers. We are being called right now as the church to bring reformation and reconstruction to society. Amen. Let me tell you something. Right now, if you don't think it needs to be reconstructed, just look around, okay? It's, it, it's not if it's going to happen, it will happen. And when it does happen, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready to, to help be a part of that? Or are you going to stick your head in the sand and be the escapism people who just say, hey, I just want to go to heaven. And, 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 and that's, what, that's where my whole destiny lies is in heaven. Yes, your destiny does lie in heaven, but your destiny also lies here on this earth. And your destiny, it will not change unless you decide to do something about it. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be disappointed when they get to heaven and they find out that they could have had a lot more going on down here and they could have seen so many more victories and God's power being used through them to do things that they could have never imagined that they could do on their own. Because they chose to look the other way and because they chose to check out. God needs you not to check out in this moment. He needs you to understand that you're called. You're called for a purpose. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, let's put up that first verse, uh, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Say, work together for good. Work together for good. For those who are called, say, for those who are called. According to his purpose. So God is working together the good for you, for all of you who are called according to his purpose. Man, that is, that is a promise. You can stand on that. Because he has called you. And he, when he calls you for his purpose, he is going to get the glory out of it. Okay? He's going to get the glory out of it. For his purpose, God turned a murderer into a representative of heaven. When he made Saul a minister of Jesus Christ among the Gentiles, he forgave him of his past, and he gave him a new identity. Come on. That was his purpose, to show his glory in a, in a broken individual. God can do whatever he wants to do. Especially in our lives, but we just have to say yes to it. We have to give him our yes. For his purpose, God sent his son, Jesus, to give us eternal life. Amen? Amen. And 1 John 3, 8 says, But the Son of God 
also came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. What is our identity? It is in Christ. What is your purpose? Also, to destroy the works of the devil. Where, there, where we decide to answer the call, and where we decide to step into the purposes that he's planned over our lives, when we step into a place where this is where fear, where fear we bring, where there's fear, we bring love, okay? Where there is confusion, we bring peace and wisdom. Where there is sickness and death, we bring healing and life. Amen? Amen. You guys want to hear a testimony? Come on. I've asked somebody to help me here. And he's going to come up here, and he, he's going to give you a little bit of a testimony. Randy, come up here real quick. And let me tell you something. Some of you guys might have heard this testimony. Some, some of you might not. But there is no shelf life on a testimony. It's, it's, there's no expiration date on a, on a testimony. Testimonies are for you to get encouraged by and to understand that what God did for Randy, he'll do for you. Amen? Hey, just a reminder that uh, we read about the story of Lazarus. Uh, in John 11. So that was 2000 and something years ago. So just a couple years ago, we were out to dinner, uh, graduation from ministry school. My wife graduated from ministry school. And so we decided to go out to eat on a Saturday night. Kind of cool. So we go to this restaurant, uh, Outback. I think that's what it is. Outback. But uh, so we go there, and of course, we had to wait 45 minutes, and it was just crazy. It's probably more than is in this room in here. And so it was just really packed, and so we waited 45 minutes, and all of a sudden, so we get called, and so sure enough, we were, we go into our seat, and all of a sudden, there was a commotion over here in the corner. Like, oh my God, what's going on? And I seen, somebody said, She's, she, she, she can't breathe, she can't breathe, and so I seen this guy get up, and he started doing this high me. And so my wife is not here today, so she, she you know, she's a good wife, and she says, she pushes me, and she says, go pray for her. And I said, well, okay. I said, Okay, okay, I'll go. And so, uh, so I'll go over and start praying. And so I just, Lord, I said, uh, you know, I've been sitting in these chairs just like you are for 40 years. So I know all these prayers and I know all this stuff. And I just graduated from mini school for three years. So I knew everything. I knew every word. I knew exactly, you know, I, the, the elaborate words and everything. So I knew what to say. Not in that moment, guys. When I had my hands on that lady and she was dying and this guy was doing the Mahomet. He just, he got so tired, he said, look, can you, can you do it? And I said, the only thing I know how to do is just pray. Sure enough, I was just kept praying as he was jerking. Restaurants, all the tables got moved and everything. And this lady was dying right there before me. And all of a sudden, I mean, she was dying. And all of a sudden, she just collapsed. That was it. And, but you know what? That elaborate prayer is the only thing I can remember. Scott, Scott preached this message a couple weeks before, not on my watch. Guys, that's the only thing that I could think about at that very moment. Not on my watch. Again, we had all these people looking, looking at us like, oh, my God. And this lady fell, and my hands never left her. I said, Lord, not on my watch. Not on my She will live, and she will not die. All of a sudden, that's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, the, the paramedics finally show up. Pushed us out of the way. The lady's already purple. She is she's dead. I mean, there's no heartbeat. There's nothing. And so when they come, of course, when they come in there and they, you know, they rush in there and uh, people just looking back and in awe, you know, because they're just in disbelief. They really couldn't, couldn't fathom what just happened. Somebody just died right before them. And so I pushed back and I just said, Lord, she will live and she will not die. And I said, not on my watch. 
An hour went by, and all of a sudden, they just get up, and they just said, well, that's it. That's all we can do. And I just kept praying. It was about an hour and 15 minutes. We got, my wife was there, and we had other friends that was with us. They were watching this. Hour and 15 minutes, and all of a sudden, I seen movement. And I said, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, you think that you're going to, again, you think in your mind in these 40 years of sitting in this chair, you're going to have this, you know, you're going to, you, oh, yeah, I know what to say. Because I was in awe. And I just kept saying, that's the only thing I said. I just kept declaring over this. She will live and she will not die. And not on my watch. So all of a sudden, she starts, you know, she, she, she's really just starting to move. And all of a sudden, she sets up. <laughs> she sets up in the restaurant after an hour and 15 minutes and she's dead. And the paramedics has worked on her. And she looks up and she looks at me out of everybody in this room. She looks at me and she says, what happened? I said, that was it. I didn't say nothing. <laughs> I couldn't say nothing. But guys, it was not on my watch. And all of a sudden, then Lisa, she said, I mean, in the top of her voice, she said, guys, we just experienced a miracle here. She was dead and now she's alive. She gets up and she gets on the, uh, on the stretcher and they take her off. Guys, she was dead after an hour and 15 minutes. It was amazing. Not on my watch. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, not on our watch. I think one time, uh, and this is another testimony, just a real quick one. I think it was uh, Scott and Lacey, you were doing a school, and you had taken a team out to downtown Atlanta, and somebody had gotten put in an ambulance, and they were dead, like dead, de dead, dead. Yeah, and they, get, they got him in the ambulance, shut the doors, and the students laid hands on the ambulance and began to pray life. And that dude got up and got, didn't he, got out, out of the ambulance. They'd already pronounced him dead. Pronounced him dead. Yeah, they were taking him to the morgue. Listen, guys, we are in him and he is in us. He really is. And uh, we, we have gotten so desensitized to things around us. And we become desensitized. It's kind of like the frog that gets put in a... In, a, in, a, in a, a pot of water, and the water's cold, but it's sitting on the stove, and it's, it starts w gradually warming up. And the frogs just kick back. Man, this feels so good. This is a jacuzzi. He doesn't know he's getting boiled to death. And uh, that's the, the whole principle of being desensitized, that we, we don't realize after we get saved and spirit-filled and, and filled with his hope and with his abilities and his goodness, there, there comes a desensitization. A desens I, I can't even say it now. A desensitization. Can't say it. I said it just fine just a minute ago. Over the years, we get, we get deadened to things. And we hear lies by the enemy. Or we hear lies from religion that tells us, oh, that stuff is dead and gone with. Don't, we don't do that here. And uh, we, have to, we have to stir ourselves back up and remind uh, ourselves who we are. We are in him. He is in us. What was Jesus sent here to do? Destroy the works of the enemy. Destroy the works of the devil. What did he actually do? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He proclaimed the favorable year of the Lord. Not doomsday. Not you're all going to die and you got to repent. And this is why judgment is hitting America or hitting our world. No. The favorable year of the Lord. 
He lives in you. And if he's in you, you're living in his favor. And if you proclaim anything other than favor, you're not, you're not in alignment with heaven. I'm telling you right now. And I know sometimes that's hard to hear because like, oh, we've had so much mixed and blended theology. We don't know what's, what's up and what's down anymore. And I'm, I'm, in that, I'm involved in that too. I mean, there's times I have to shake myself off, man. I've got I've to hit a calibration, re, hit a reset. And um, God is doing something special, man. He is doing something special for us in this world. Let, turn to, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke 4. I'm going to read out of here in Luke 4. I want, I want to point something out here. Luke 4. You notice I got my real Bible in my hand today. Real Bible. There we go. Who's got a Bible app? Let me see your Bible apps. Okay. Bless you guys. We're, we're waiting for you to get on board, but bless you guys. Hey, the, the real Bible people are here. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Last week, I, I did that for like three weeks straight, and me and Scott were having like a, a little war over Facebook on it. I was having a war over Facebook on it. And then last week, I forgot my Bible, and I had, <laughs> and, and I had to use my phone. Oh, trusty. That's right. Pride comes before the fall. So uh, I'm looking in Luke here, Luke chapter 4. And I'm just going to jump around a little bit, but uh, Jesus had just come out of the wilderness, and it says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and reports about him spread quick, quickly through the whole region. I bet so. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Not everyone. The Pharisees and scribes didn't praise him. They didn't like him. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. Amen. That's a good place to shout. The time of the Lord's favor has come. Did you know that, um, that gr the Greek word for Christ is translated as anointed one? As anointed one. And Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Anoint means to smear upon. To smear upon. We are anointed because we received, we've received Jesus and he has smeared upon us his Holy Spirit. And he has smeared his Holy Spirit on us. And when he, d he d does that, he does it not just for us, but he does it for others as well. So you're walking around and you're just, you're just smeared with Jesus. You're smeared with Jesus. And, it, and, the, and you're supposed to let it get off on you and get onto other people. Because you're called to look like, act like, and do the exact same thing Jesus did. Wouldn't it be cruel if Jesus said, hey, I can do these things, but when I leave, uh, you guys are just going to have to stick by the rules, and you can't do the same things I did. Did he, did he say that? No. 
He said, the things that I do, even greater things you'll be able to do. Amen? Remind yourself of this. Hey, Randy. Randy is in the restaurant. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't being prideful. He didn't come walking up into the scene where the lady was on the ground dying going, Hey, the Lord's anointed one has arrived. Everybody get out of the way. Watch me do a work. No, no. He came in on the level of humility. He came in in the level, I mean, I'm sure there were moments when you saw the disciples get a little brassy. They got a little, but you look at most of the scripture in the gospels and the, the disciples and Jesus were just so confident about who they were. They just walked in and they just spoke. And Randy, that's what you did. You came in and you, you were like, I really don't know what to do, but I know that I'm supposed to lay my hands on this person. And as you laid your hands on that person, you began to pray and God began to do things. So he has smeared his anointing on, on us. Let, let me show you something else in Luke. I'm going to jump around Luke a little. Luke 4. It says that he was in the wilderness being tested and tempted by the enemy. And it said, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and he will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And what did Jesus do? He responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So he left, and he didn't, he didn't succeed in what he was trying to do. He, he did not succeed in trying to make Jesus feel like he was unqualified or that he wasn't qualified to be the son of God. By getting, in a, by getting him in a match of showing who's greater and who's got the greatest power. Jesus didn't allow himself to get in there. I think, I think the biggest challenge for us in fulfilling what God has called us to do is to try and prove our identity in our own strength and not in his. Jesus actually showed us this is how you do it. He said when the enemy comes in and he challenges you, Randy, when you went in there and God told you to go pray for, for that person, I'm sure you started hearing other voices too. said, man, what do you think you're doing? Do you think you're qualified to do this? Man, what is it going to look like if you fail? This is the thing. That's the enemy. The enemy comes in every single time, and he questions the identity that God has put inside of us. We must stand against this and resist the lies that we are not qualified. Um, you know, he said, if you are the son of God. Listen, 1 John 2.20 says... But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Wow, that sounds arrogant. But it's not arrogant. Why? Because it says you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Why would you be able to know all things? If you access the one who lives on the inside of you, the creator of the universe, he will give you wisdom. To know how to handle every situation that you're dealing with. The problem with most of us is we don't get that wisdom until we probably get a little older. Because we've learned through mistakes and being impatient to wait on God before we do anything. I'm not saying don't take risks. But I'm saying when we're younger, 
it's, we, we just, we're, we're so impetuous and we're just, man, we're just going to go do this. We're going to go do this. And we just, we just think we have all the answers. It's that thing of insignificance. We've got to understand our significance lies in our calling. And our calling lies in him. Because he has sent us to do the same works that he has done. The same works. Not, not kind of the same works. Let's put up the, this other scripture. We're going to wrap this up. Romans eleven twenty nine. Try to wrap it up really quick. There we go. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Aren't you guys glad about that? They're irrevocable. So what God said he's given you and the gifts that he's given you and the, the calling he's put on your life, he's never going to take it back from you. You can, con you can concede and give it away and not act on it, but he is never going to take it away from you. He's not a liar. He doesn't lie. And you can't put God in your situation based on your past experiences. If you do, you're going to end up cheating yourself and robbing yourself of who God made you to be. I remember there was a time in my life before I got saved where I had trauma after trauma after trauma. It seemed like everything that I loved was taken away from me. People in my life died time after time and time again. And I remember blaming God for it. Literally blaming God. Sitting on the side of a hill just in the out in the open field blaming God for it. And after I got saved and spirit-filled, I realized that it, God was not the thief. Yeah. John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. So I realized I have been robbing myself of God's promises and of his goodness in my life because of how I thought about him. And so we have to make that adjustment. And I love Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Only human beings do that. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? No. That's what people do. But that's not what God does. So we can't take our experiences that we've had in the natural with people and, 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 and put it on God. Because that's not who God is. We've got to understand that God is good and that he wants us to enter into his fullness, into his blessings and all the things he has for us. Let's pull up uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty six. <laughs> this is, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. This is Paul talking. <laughs> I love this. Not many of you were wise by human standards. He's basically just saying you were dumb. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential and not many were of noble birth. What? Not noble birth. Listen, only nobility had privilege. Nobility had money. Nobility had great houses, had great opportunities to, to be a part of culture that other people weren't able to be involved in. They had the ability to have an education. But listen, here's the great story. But in Jesus, we had the same advantages of nobility. doesn't matter if you were born into a family that was, you know, had massive influence and nobility. Because it doesn't matter. Because we are the sons and the daughters of the king, we automatically step into a place of nobility. We automatically step into a place of inheriting what he has. He's the king. 
Boy, amen. Come on. He's the king of kings. And uh, what? Oh, you're soaking in it. Okay. You know, and I love this because in Acts 4.13, it says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, they call them stupid again, they marveled and they took note concerning them that what? They had been with who? Jesus. When you enter into the kingdom and when you give your life to him, you become nobility. You begin to act like nobility. Look at the disciples, unlearned and ignorant men. But yet they began to speak and they began to walk in a way that people marveled because they said, oh my gosh, we know these guys. And they're just, no, they're, they're unlearned. But because they had been around Jesus and they began to, they began to understand and believe who God had called them to be, things started changing in their life. Let's pull up Ephesians 1.18, last verse. Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. What Paul is saying here is, I pray that your eyes would be opened, that you understand who God's made you to be. I pray that you understand that you're his kids and that you can do exactly what he said you can do. And that the riches of the glory of his inheritance are, is for you. Because when you believe that and you step into that, the world's going to change. The region's going to change. The environment's going to change. Everything's going to change when you grasp a hold of that and you open it up and you understand, this is who God's made me to be. This is who God wants me to be. Listen. Some of us need to be reawakened to his purposes in our lives. That it's a place that your existence will find a new meaning and a new significance when you, when you become aware of that. And when we step into the kingdom, we step into a new reality, one of great possibility. There's nothing impossible when we step into his reality and not our reality. And we can do that because we've been called to be his sons and his daughters. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys. Love you.